This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. I want to turn with you to Ephesians chapter 1 and to meditate joyfully on verses 3 to 14 from that passage. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14. Let's hear the word of God together. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul, as we'll find out later in this letter, is in prison, probably in Rome, a man awaiting trial and possible execution. And Paul's body is chained in his cell as he lies on the rotting straw, but his soul is soaring up into the heights, ascending and rising up in worship to the source of all life and goodness. And these 12 verses are not the dry and detached analysis of a philosopher-theologian. This is a man who is exploding in worship and praise. It's a spontaneous hymn of thanksgiving to God. And these words certainly are engaging Paul's mind. He's stretching his mind to its very breaking point. But it all arises from a heart burning with the love of God. And Paul is pouring out his heart in thanksgiving for the sheer goodness of God. He is returning blessing to the God who has blessed him with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And for Paul, this is not a moment of private devotion, full of knees and minds. He's including all of us, the Ephesian Christians and the whole church of God in heaven and on earth in this Thanksgiving. Because the blessing of God is as wide as it is intense. And it pours out onto a mighty host beyond human counting. 
So this afternoon, I want to invite you to join me in singing Paul's song of praise and to stir our own hearts to remember the goodness of the Lord and to respond in joyful worship to him. Because our Father has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every blessing. And so, if you're sitting here, if you belong to Jesus, if you've put your faith in Him, the full waterfall of divine benediction has poured out and is pouring out and will pour out upon you forever. Infinite goodness, the fullness of the divine essence thundering down upon your head. Do we believe this? Do we believe that the disposition of God towards us, his attitude towards us is one of unlimited, overflowing and unending goodness? And very likely the reason that our praise is so half-hearted is because we believe secretly that the goodness of God is very half-hearted. That God is irritated and resentful of our neediness. A God who, if he is to give at all, needs to be nagged and guilted into it. But our God is a God of grace. Grace defines who God is. Grace, the open-handed, ungrudging, unsparing, prolific, prolific, extravagant, gift-giving of God. Glorious grace, which he has freely given us, Paul says. The riches of God's grace that he has lavished Upon us. And we have gathered to worship a God who loves nothing more than to give. The God who possesses all things and whose heart is delighted at pouring himself out onto his children in every possible blessing. And in these very densely compacted verses, Paul mentions some of the blessings that God has given us through Jesus. The first one, strikingly, is holiness. Because God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In Christ, you and I have been set apart in God's plans for his service and worship. And you know, it's so easy to be discouraged at the slowness of our progress in holiness. And if you're like me, you often feel unable to escape from sins you're entangled in, and you seem to make very little movement from one day or even one year to the next. And the possibility of holiness and blamelessness feels like a cruel joke at times. And it's really impossible for me to imagine this heart unstained, able to stand before the gaze of God, 
perfect in every way. Knowing that as I stand in the presence of God, I am, I am completely fit to be there. That is impossible for me to imagine about myself. And perhaps you feel the same way. And this holiness and blamelessness before God is not a future that I can or must achieve. This is one that the grace of God has gifted to me. This is not a demand, a threatening God holds over us. This is a promise a generous God offers to us. And you and I have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be exactly this kind of person. If you believe in Jesus, holiness is your destiny. Holiness is your destiny because God has decided this is the kind of person you will be. As pure and holy as the angels who bow before the throne of God and unceasingly cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But there is an even higher blessing than that, that God has spoken over you. An even higher position than the highest of the archangels. And that is that you have been chosen by God, predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And in Roman law, adoption was a way that a wealthy, childless man could provide a worthy heir for himself. And the son that he chose to adopt after going through the legal process would literally assume a new identity. His old persona was null and void. He could literally not be prosecuted or sued in court for debts that he had taken under his old name. He was a completely new person. And he received all the rights and privileges, the name and status of a natural-born son. And of course, that is only an imperfect picture of adoption into God's family because God is not a childless person longing for a worthy heir. God is the eternal father of his perfect beloved son. And so God adopts, not because his heart is empty of love, but because his heart is full of love and overflowing. And he brings needy orphans into his family, not out of his own need, but out of his immense grace. And because we're adopted in Jesus, all the rights and privileges, the name and status of Jesus, the natural born son, belong to us. And I think we can say on the authority of the New Testament, there is no aspect of the sonship of Jesus that is not shared with his adopted brothers and sisters. No part of Christ's sonship that is reserved and held only for himself, it is completely shared with us. And this is a matter not only of legal rights and status, 
Adoption is about being brought into the most intimate possible relationship with a father who loves and welcomes and embraces us as his own dear children. And this is what God plans for you from before the creation of the world. There has never been a time when you have not been wanted. God has always desired for you to be in his family close to his heart. And since eternity passed, God has dwelt on your name with pleasure and delight. And his most powerful impulse has been to pull you closer and closer towards himself as his beloved child. Chosen for adoption. But there's even more because in verse 7, Paul says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And redemption literally means to be bought from slavery with a price. To be bought from slavery with a price. And the great Old Testament story of redemption, of course, is the story of the Exodus. When the people of Israel were toiling under the Egyptian whip and God broke their shackles and liberated them powerfully from the land of oppression so they could be released into the freedom of worship. And that was the story that defines who Israel was. And through Christ we have our own and a much greater exodus from the powers that have enslaved us, that have oppressed us and destroyed us. Death and the devil and sin. And this redemption has come in the most costly way possible through the blood of the cross, through the violent sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. And Christ has powerfully rescued us from darkness by surrendering himself to weakness and suffering and going down into the land of darkness himself to pay for our sins. And the results, the glorious results of his finished work on the cross is that we have the forgiveness of all our sins. Through Jesus, the shameful record of your past has been wiped clean, never to be brought up again. And the record of your sins that hung over you was nailed over Christ and he paid the full penalty. And all the sin of the redeemed, the massive, stinking burden of our sin was laid on the Lamb of God, slain for us. And we are sitting here this afternoon as forgiven people. 
defined no longer by our evil choices or our tainted hearts, defined by who we are in Christ. And therefore, we are free, we are welcome to come before God in joy and in confidence, knowing with certainty that God accepts us and there's no longer anything within us that will prove a barrier to the closest fellowship we could have with our maker. And this redemption and forgiveness all arise out of divine grace. This is not a state of being that we got together and created as human beings. Redemption and forgiveness are the surprising intervention of God into our ruined state to remove every obstacle to your and my eternal happiness. And if that wasn't enough, it's crowned with this blessing that in Christ we are marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And in ancient times, wealthy people would possess a seal or a signet ring with a special inscription or image on it. And they would use that to stamp or to brand their most important possessions. And when you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, you were claimed as God's special possession. His most treasured possession. And he marked you with a seal. He placed his own Holy Spirit upon you as a sign that you now no longer belong to darkness. You belong to God. And this Holy Spirit, Paul says, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Spirit is God's down payment. His first installment on the future that he has planned for you. And so when we experience the Spirit, who is the gift not to a special class of elite Christians, God's gift to everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. When we experience the life of the Holy Spirit within us, we are tasting something of God's new creation. The future has already arrived in the Spirit. And His presence assures us of God's promise, God's guarantee that we will one day experience the full possession of the new Jerusalem. Of course, if we were left without the Spirit, we would have no guarantees at all. The only guarantee is that we would make complete shipwreck of our faith and fail to receive the promised inheritance. But the Spirit's abiding presence his permanent residence within our hearts gives us the certainty 
that we will sit down at the place marked out for us in God's heavenly city. You know, as we read through these verses, what Paul underlines again and again is that from first to last, it is not my power or purpose, it is God's power and purpose that underwrites all of salvation. All of salvation is because of God's will. And in our passage, Paul rejoices and lifts up worship again and again in the fact that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, verse 4, that he predestined us in accordance with his pleasure and will, verse 5, that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, verses 9 and 10, and that in Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, verse 11. And in these verses, we find ourselves with all the people of God carried along in salvation as passive recipients. We are not doing anything in these verses except enjoying the grace of God that thunders down onto our lives. And the determining action in salvation is wrought by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the source of salvation is God's plan. And the accomplishment of salvation is God's power. And therefore, the result of salvation will be God's praise. You know, sometime after midnight on December 18th, 1997, I bowed the knee to receive Jesus near the, near the swing set at Clayton Elementary School in Surrey, British Columbia. And I received him as my Savior and Lord. And of course, that act of repentance and faith was vital. It was essential. But the ultimate determining decision for me and also for you was not your conversion but the election of God before the foundation of the world because divine grace always comes before human response and therefore all the worship goes to God. Of course we don't have time to penetrate all the mysteries of election and predestination this afternoon. But I can't help but note this word pleasure that goes along with the will of God. Because these are not dark, foreboding decrees. God elected and predestined with pleasure with gladness. And joy filled the heart of God as he laid down the plans that would bring you and me 
into the kingdom of his son. The final thing I want to say about our text, and there is so much we could say, but the final thing I want to emphasize, perhaps the most important thing in this text, is all these blessings are in Christ. And if you look at these 12 verses carefully, you'll see the expression in Christ, in him, through him, appear 11 times in these 12 verses. It's Paul's favorite expression for what it means to be a Christian. 36 times in Ephesians, 165 times in Paul's letters. He uses this expression in Christ. Because the living center of salvation is Jesus Christ himself. And none of these blessings are spiritual abstractions and gases that we can somehow take out of Christ into ourselves. Every blessing of God's grace resides in Jesus. And the only way to experience the blessing of God and his unsearchable riches of grace is through union with Jesus, through oneness with Christ. And in fact, the climax of God's great plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, to gather up all human history and the entire cosmic order and rearrange it with his son at the center. Jesus is where everything that matters happens. And therefore, salvation in one word is Christ. And so anyone apart from Christ, anyone outside of him, is outside of the realm of God's blessings. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you are alone, alienated from God, separated from him, lost and dead in your sins, and completely without hope for your future. But to those who are dead in their sins comes this life-giving message of truth, the gospel of salvation, offered to everyone without exception, new life, hope, and grace for all who put their faith in Jesus. The door is wide open, and the Father is ready to welcome everyone who walks through that door that is Jesus, including yourself. And God is a God who loves to pour out his grace for all who ask for it. So why not open your hands and open your heart and simply receive from the God who loves to give? There is no blessing outside of Christ, but there is every blessing within Christ. All The existing and imaginable blessings of God are within the circle that is his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, if you belong to Jesus, all of these blessings have your name written under them. 
Paul is not describing the reward for a lifetime of faithful service. This is your gift the moment you enter into the kingdom. All these blessings are yours. Holiness, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, and the sealing with the spirit that guarantees your place in the new Jerusalem. All of this is God's sheer gift. Our God loves to give. Not out of need, not out of longing, not out of emptiness, but out of the overflowing goodness of his heart. So as we contemplate the staggering grace of God in Christ by the Spirit, we're swept up with Paul in thanksgiving and adoration. And as the blessing thunders down on us from above, from God, blessing, praise rises up from the redeemed all to the praise of the glorious grace of our God. Let's bow our heads and bless this generous God. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you with praise and with worship and with thanksgiving. We are people who has nothing to give you except for our sin and our need and our death. And you are God who has met us with overwhelming kindness. And all of this is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may he be precious to our souls and may we cling to him with all of our hearts. Lord, you know that we limp and linger through life with such small experience of your grace, not because of any lack within you, but because of our own our own meager faith. And so, Lord, expand our souls by your spirit. Fill us with the wisdom and insight we need. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see that all that all that you have done for us in Christ. And may spontaneous, unforced, joyful praise and thanksgiving well up from within our hearts. All to the honor of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and worship this Jesus through whom the grace of God has been poured onto us. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.